surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is Taylor, your host, and today we're going to get into virginity, quote unquote. We're going to get into sexual debut. We're going to get into all the places you'll go, oh, oh. Before we introduce our guest for today, and I'll tell you all a little bit about her and we'll go into this interview, but before we do that, um, I do just want to have a little bit of a check-in because there's a lot happening in the world. We're going through uh, a bit of a transition right now and times just of going into a new season, going into fall. Um, there's a lot in the news these days. There's still no justice for Breonna Taylor. There's still no justice for many, many other uh, black people, including trans black people and uh, black women. Um, and it's really frustrating. Um, I've definitely received a little bit of pressure on social media to just comment on these things and just want to give a friendly reminder that like if you're white, don't put pressure on or expect black people to educate you or to have to even advocate and comment on this stuff. Um, it is exhausting and it is tiring and... Um, it, it feels like a form of resistance to just go about life and to just live. Um, so if you see other black people doing that, don't send them messages and be like, oh, what do you think about the ruling and, you know, all this stuff? And, oh, are you going to cover that? And like, just let, just let them be. Um, go ask your other white friends those questions, right? And have those conversations there and continue doing all the work that I hope you've already been putting in, um, whether it's contacting, uh, I can't talk, whether it's contacting attorney generals or um, anything, uh, you know, contacting Congress, voting, register to fucking vote. If you're not registered to vote after all of these campaigns and even Instagram having a reminder for you daily to register to vote, then I don't know what's going on. Uh, so please make sure you're registered to vote. Um, please allow space for rest for yourself and especially for black people. Um, and with all of that said, we will, uh, I'll introduce our guest and then we'll share this interview with y'all. Um, we're going to go back into sex space again today. Uh, this, this one was actually very fun. So maybe take a few deep breaths and we're going to transition here. So, uh, my guest today is Nicole Hodges. She's a journalist, a sexual freedom philosopher, and author of the Dr. Seuss style book about orgasms. It's called Oh, the Places You'll Go Oh Oh. And we're going to get into this book because I'm excited to share it with y'all. Uh, but she is the founder of Girls Who Say Fuck, which is an incubator for ideas that instigate change. Um, her projects are boundary pushing and community driven with the intention of creating a world with more pleasure and less shame. Uh, one project is men who takes men who take baths and we're going to talk, chat about that uh, where she interviews men in bubble baths and about what it means to quote be a man um 
She also uh, is actually a fellow, I say fellow, like I'm a Canadian, but I mean, I'm going to say I'm honorary. So she's a fellow Canadian. Uh, she lives in Toronto with her partner and her hairless cat, Brian. Um, so I'm excited to get into this conversation with Nicole and to, to share this with y'all. So um, with all that said, let's talk about it. All right. So welcome, Nicole, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I am excited to get into all the things with you. But first, for our listeners who can't see this, you showed up in a robe today. (laughs) And I just want to say how much I appreciate that because... I also showed up in a robe. You did. I feel like it was a very uh, authentic bonding moment for both of us where we maybe thought that the other wasn't going to show up in a robe. So I was pleasantly surprised. Yours is fluffy. Mine is silky. And together we are bringing robe life back to normalcy. This is how it should always be. Yes. Yeah. Like I already felt like you were someone I'd fuck with just based on like the content that we're going to go over here. But then you also show up in a robe and I was like, here we go. Here we go. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. I even, I brought a teacup. Like it's a whole, it's a whole vibe. Yes. I mean, I have my giant crazy cat lady mug. Uh, and my robe is also like almost 12 year old ish. So it's like slightly different vibes, but like similar wavelength. Um, so yeah, no, I'm really excited uh, to have you on today. You are you're in Toronto, which I love. I love Canadians so much, um, and had visited Toronto frequently. So I'm like, I'm sad we can't be in person these days. Um, but you also, we have a mutual friend who is a part of uh, your book, Oh the Places You'll Go, Oh Oh, that we're going to mm-hmm. talk about. Um, who was also on the podcast? I believe he was episode 104, uh, Dr. Stephen Dewitt. Yeah, I know. He he messaged me about 20 minutes ago and was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I love Taylor. You're going on this podcast. Have the most fun. Yeah. And I kind of was like rushing around and trying to get all my notes together. So didn't fully <laughs> absorb it. But I'm so glad that like the mutual friend is such mm-hmm. a good indicator of the connection that is possible. So it's like, yes, that happened. And then the robes happened. And I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm quite, I'm smitten. I'm, I'm, everything happens in threes. So I'm just like waiting for the next amazing thing to happen between yes. us. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a stepbrothers moment of like, did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> um, so all much of room these for activities. Yes, exactly. In our robes. In too. Our robes. So freeing. Um, it really is. It really is. Um, well, like one of the first things that I want to make sure we we kind of dive into here, uh, because a large part of a large part of what I like talking about on the podcast is sex and destigmatizing all the things related to sex. And I have been saying virginity in quotes for so long, and have been more, I think this was actually again in Toronto, uh, with Dr. Jess. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with I Jess. Am, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she's fantastic as well. And, uh, was on the pod that same trip in, uh, Toronto where we talked about virginity versus sexual debut. And this is also a topic that you are like very passionate about and advocating for, for us to transition our thinking from virginity to sexual debut. And that is also reflected within the book, which Mm -hmm. I love. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about like how this even came up for you. Like it wasn't for me until the last like 
really probably two years that I was like, you know, I knew that things with virginity was like were problematic, but had never been able to identify it as a sexual debut instead of virginity. It, it, it came about because the like, for, okay, so first of all, the implication of virginity is a sense yeah. of ownership. And when mm-hmm. I'm writing this book about the power of you know female orgasms, and when I'm referring to myself as a sexual freedom philosopher, philosopher I'm thinking of like what what is so embedded in our kind of cultural lexicon that we're almost oblivious to the implications of some of the language that we use. And pussy was one of those words. And virginity, frankly, became one of those words that I zeroed in on because if we want to create a more sexually liberated society, I don't think the best thing to do is wait until we're older to necessarily address Mm it. Uh, We need to kind of look at some of the roots and virginity makes it so a young young women, let's say, begin their sexual journey at a deficit, already feeling like they've lost or given something up. And mm-hmm. to take one aspect of a person's sexual behavior and define it as the sum total of their being or this like one moment where you suddenly become a sexual person, to me, yeah. is a catastrophe. And... Not to say that sexual debut will be the word or the term that we use, but making it so virginity is now the term that we're growing away from. Like virginity mm-hmm. means to be unmarried. It means, you know, yeah. not belonging to a man. Like that's what a virgin is. So the so the reverse of that is to say that to lose your virginity is now to belong to a man. Yeah. And what we mean when we say virginity is to me, it's as ephemeral as when we use the word freedom. It needs to be as individualistic as that word. Mm-hmm. When it comes to virginity, we've decided to define it by what terminates it and what terminates virginity. Man, therefore we are now defined by penetration. And when yes. you create this idea that we are defined or that we make a, tr- a life transition by penetration, again, you are not freeing both genders or giving them autonomy to make their own choices when one mm-hmm. still depends on the actions of the other. So virginity then inherently redeforms heterosexuality as normalcy um, rather than validating or uh, kind of like discussing other forms of sexual expression or allowing those to come in, it reinforces a narrow scope of what constitutes sex in short. Damn girl. (laughs) That's, that's a book right there. That's a book right there. That's a mo that's a mic drop. Yes. I literally all listening to that. I just like (laughs) got, I went into a trance of, (laughs) <laughs> no, that, I mean, that, that just shows the passion behind this, but yeah, a huge part, the whole basis of virginity is in patriarchy and ownership and purity and is a, a thousand percent limiting to a heteronormative, um, lifestyle and identity and, and perspective, um, solely based in penetration. Right. And even when we talk about, you know, virginity as like our sexual experience, uh, the first of that happening, our sexual experiences start before we ever have penetration 
penetrative sex, if ever we have penetrative sex. Exactly. Our sexual experiences start first with ourselves and that those start way before you would ever even think about or even have knowledge of penetrative sex. That happens when you're like literally a toddler mm-hmm. and are like gaining awareness of your body and of your genitals like and starting to experience pleasure in that as a young child. Like that's when you're having like your sexual debut. That's when you're having like your first sexual experiences, your first pleasurable um, experiences related specifically to your genitals. Absolutely. And I think that makes people uncomfortable even just to think about, right? Of like, well, no, like that should happen when you're like maybe 16 and, you know, are more of an adult. But like by that time, you've already learned and had all this shame of society and all this bullshit like put on top of you that you then have to even fight against. So like you said, it's like when you're when you start actually educating it and talking about um, and getting more intentional about your sexual experiences, once you've lost your virginity, you're already start like you're starting at a deficit. Absolutely. <laughs> and the fact that virginity is even associated with the term losing something losing. rather than gaining something. And so I started yeah. looking at like, we have very few modern rites of passage. I, I I think birthdays are maybe one of our few remaining rites of passage. We celebrate every year the same Mm -hmm. day, the time that we were born. And why can't something like a sexual debut, a sexual awakening, a moment where you feel most like yourself. And Nietzsche talks about this all the time. He talks about the will to power and how our purpose on on this earth is our will to power. How much are we able to express ourselves? To me, a sexual debut is any pinnacle moment where you felt most like yourself in relation to your sexuality. Why can't that be something that we celebrate? Why the fuck is there not a song? And where's the goddamn cake? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like you should be like strutting and cake. Yes. Get me the cake. Get me the gifts. Like gather gather your girlfriends around, gather your guy friends around, whatever it is, and celebrate these moments where you develop as as a sexually awakened being and as a person. Mm -hmm. Rather than looking at it like trepidatiously or with a sense of shame afterwards. Yeah. How did all of this start for you? Like at what point were you diving deep into your sexual, uh, liberation. I, I grew up with a lot of self-imposed shame. So I Mm -hmm. looked at my mother when I was about 15 years old and I said to myself, if I do everything the opposite of you, I'll be happy. And to me, that meant, you know, not doing drugs, actually graduating from you know, high school, university, whatever, lots of things that I put in a box. And one of those things was my sexuality because I associated Mm -hmm. sexual expression with chaos. And I wanted so badly to inject a sense of control over my own life because I saw my mother as a chaotic being that I thought Mm -hmm. I needed to close myself off to the world and to those sexual expressions. And so I made a promise that I wouldn't sleep with more than 10 people in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I ended up in a seven-year monogamous relationship, which was beautiful, but I felt dead inside. And I had the career of my dreams and I couldn't feel anything from what other people were saying. They were looking and going, that girl, you want to be that girl. And I was looking around like me, don't be like me. I I feel nothing of this world. Mm. And I had lost complete connection with my pussy and actually looking at my vulva in the mirror 
oh, yeah. was a defining moment for me. And I, I, I felt truly like she almost yelled at me, like, where the fuck have you been? Mm-hmm. I've been waiting yeah. for you. And I heard that. Yeah. And there's these moments where you are presented with an opportunity to change. And I think a lot of our anxiety manifests when we ignore that. And mm-hmm. I went down the scary path of actually pursuing it. Um, I kind of describe it as coming to a gate in my mind and, and there's this wide open field and a gate and I can go on either side of the gate, but my 15 year old self was standing there and I had to walk up to her as my, I think I was like 28. Uh, I was about to sleep with my 11th person, you know, I was considering it Mm -hmm. and I had to walk up to this 15 year old version of myself and I had to look at her and say, we're safe. It's, It's okay. We can let this go expressing myself as a sexual being, relinquishing shame, injecting more pleasure into my life. It's not going to bring chaos. It's going to bring great discovery. Like look beyond this gate at that wide open field of of flowers that you should be fucking and frolicking Mm -hmm. in. Like go there. It's much more fun. Go fuck in those flowers. Go fuck in those flowers. And so Mm -hmm. I let myself go. I had to have that conversation with my 15 year old self. And throughout this process, Mm -hmm. this two year discovery is how I wrote the book. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Time for a short break here to have a mini check-in on your mental health. So how are you feeling? How are you feeling about your life? How are you feeling about your mental health? How are you feeling about your self-esteem, your relationships? Where are you at? Are you wanting extra support? Are you wanting some help? Are you in need of some help? There's no shame whatsoever in reaching out for help. And I want to highly recommend using BetterHelp, which is an online professional counseling service uh, that y'all can use. You can start communicating with a licensed professional therapist in under 24 hours and get like professional counseling, not self-help, but actual professional help with a professional therapist. So highly recommend it, whether you're struggling with depression, self-esteem, family conflicts, the state of the world right now. um, I highly recommend it. And so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So highly, highly recommend them. And as a listener, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash talk about it. And that's like, you get like four sessions in in a month at 10% off. And they also offer financial assistance. So why not, y'all? You can join over a million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash talk about it. All right. That's your little reminder, y'all. And now we can get right back onto the show. There's so much. I want to go into so many things here. And I'm like, where where <laughs> do we take this? There's so many places. Um I think first the the number piece. Um, I just did a Q and A. Uh, I think two three episodes back. Um, had a partnership with Plan B, which was super exciting in that one. Uh, that people should definitely take a listen to. But in that, we had a listener question around: Does the number of sexual partners I have matter? And I had kind of shared through my own process of like I had. I didn't say the num- the number 10, but I was like, I'm not going over my hands. Mm-hmm. And then I was at my hands and then I was like, okay, I'm not going over my toes. And then I like <laughs> went down to my toes. I was like, guess I'm a visual person. Um, and as I was getting to my toes that at that point, I was like, why am I keeping track of this? Why mm-hmm. am I keeping track of this? Why does this matter? And 
kind of like what you said of stepping through that door in a way of like, this is not going to like bring me chaos. And for me, it was like, this isn't going to bring me shame. This isn't going to decrease my worth. Um, this is only going to bring great discovery and exploration of, of pleasure, which like, why not? <laughs> why not dare to take that step and take that risk, right? Of processing that shame and that kind of scary place maybe. And you go, this is, we're going to talk about the book because you have a whole place of, of shame in the book too. Um, and we're talking about all these places we're going to go with these gates. And so let's, let's talk about the book now then. <laughs> Because this is just lining up here. Um, so you did like a Dr. Seuss version of essentially, I want to, I'm going to read like a few pieces from this, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Um, okay. So the first thing that I want to point out here is like your introduction <laughs> page, which I, I found very important. And then I also have questions for you on this. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. in the opening here, you have... This book contains sexual content, mostly expressed through genitalia-laden <laughs> landscapes and provocative wording. I've written the following with humor and from the perspective of a bisexual, cisgender woman, because that is what I know. Not because it is what I believe, not because I believe it is the only form of sexual expression or identification. I understand the intricacies of the vulva and vagina and the importance of using the correct language when making the, a distinction between the two. However, for the sake of rhyming, I've chosen to primarily use pussy. Um, any use of girl, lady, woman, or pronouns, she, her, are meant to be inclusionary and serve as one chosen identifier within a broad spectrum, including trans and gender nonconforming. Um, it goes on for amazing things here, but I, I, I thought that this piece was very important to include. And I also want to ask you here, with doing Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss, I don't believe is gendered. So I'm curious, like, why, it, why, why not go that route of being non-gendered? So I shied away from allowing this book to be a full expression of myself for a really long time. And I actually had Mm. a different character that was non-gendered before I decided Mm. that it was me. And I owned up to the fact that it was me and owning up to it being me was owning my sexuality and my journey. Mm -hmm. So I actually had this little character called an ejacalope. It's like an ejacalope, but it was an ejacalope. And I love it. I realized that I was hiding behind this character Mm. because I didn't want to fully express and I didn't want to allow myself to be vulnerable by publishing this book and putting it into the world and saying, this is actually me. And these have actually been my experiences over the last couple of years that I'd like to share with you if you're willing to hear them. And so using Mm. the pronouns and actually using like that girl as the one that moves through this book is, is is a declaration of me claiming and owning my journey and even Mm. putting the words bisexual, like that was the first time I had put it in text and Mm. I gave one to all of my family and I I had a beautiful conversation with my dad about it um, because Mm -hmm. I said like, dad, I, I am a bisexual woman. And his response to me was, well, Nicole, you've always loved everybody. And would you like to Mm. split the burger? Which I thought was obnoxious because who splits burgers? But the point was, is like, this book is such a reflection of a personal journey. And 
there were moments where I was filled with doubt and I said, who am I to do this? But I kept coming back to this mantra of like, you are the expert of your own experiences. So this book is my experience fully expressed for anybody who Mm -hmm. sees a piece of themselves in it and doing anything other than expressing it as me would be a disservice to the ultimate truth. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. To, to, to touch on your point about Dr. Seuss, which I think is a good point to touch on as well, is that Dr. Seuss is revered in our in our society as someone who simultaneously entertained generations of adults and children while also teaching them important moral lessons, which emphasized self-reflection and confidence and putting my messages in this way, contextualizing it as something that was playful and, and, Mm -hmm. and educational to me was bypassing a lot of the potential. I call them like potholes of subjectivity. So Mm. language is incredibly potent to get someone from the beginning of a sentence to the end of a sentence without them falling into one of these potholes of subjectivity, I find is an art form. For some mm-hmm. reason, music and rhyming care. It's almost like people get like little wings on their feet and they, you could just like yeah. carry them along these ideas. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. further, Dr. Seuss using playfulness, I'm a believer that laughter is like smoke that can seep under doors yeah. of closed minds. When you can get somebody to laugh, you disarm them in a really beautiful way that doesn't seem like that's what you're doing. But all of a sudden they're mm-hmm. laughing about something. Maybe that laughter is able to open them up in a way. And maybe that, you know, plants a seed that grows a thought that changes an action that impacts a life. Yeah. So I'm going to read from two pages here mm-hmm. so that people can have their little wings and go from sentence to sentence. That's yeah. super cute. Um, and I will also say too, the animations in this are so beautiful. And Naya, who is like my little sister, she's six and she was over literally yesterday and the book was on, um, the Ottoman and she was like, I get packages sometimes. And then she's like, Oh, is there, are there things for me? And like, there'll be stickers and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is for you. Um, and she picked up the book and she's like, is this for me? (laughs) And I was like, in a few years. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I have a different version of this book that we can read. Um, but she did, she kind of like flipped through a little bit and was like looking at some of the drawings and the the characters and she was just like, thought it looked so cool. And I was like, yeah, in a few years we'll, we'll read this together. Um, but okay, so there were two pages of this that really stuck out to me. Um, and I want to give people just like a little teaser in, into this. Uh, so this is kind of in the beginning. And maybe you should read it, actually. Oh, no, you read it. It's nice. I get to sit back and hear someone <laughs> read the book. Come on, I rarely get this. Okay. <laughs> I'm always okay, the one okay. reading it. I'm like, I don't know if I'll, uh, hopefully I don't mess it up. Okay. I'll tell you the truth about coming. It doesn't fall. It doesn't just fall from the sky. You won't find it under your pillow. And it isn't just something for guys. Hey. <laughs> no way. Some orgasms roll in like thunder. Some flutter in light as a bird. Some hit you without any warning. And some are so strong, it's absurd. <laughs> Our history tends to ignore them or say it's not really her place. It's hard to be cute like a lady when an orgasm crosses your face. (laughs) Did I write this? This is hilarious. 
<laughs> Once they start, you may not like you may not feel like stopping. They may even mess up your sheets. But when they take over your body, that's really when sex is a treat. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> The the rhyming the quirk like the fun the, there's so much truth in it. First of all, that's I was like true true when I was reading <laughs> along, um, that I just thought was so beautiful. And this piece, the sex page, was slightly was after you go through like a shame piece mm. that also was amazing. Um, so this one goes. <laughs> As you start to let go of that silly old shame, you may find some pleasure in feeling some pain. (laughs) Spanking as thanking, restraint as release, being tied up or wearing a leash. These are some things which were sadly not taught, but those who enjoy them, enjoy them a lot. They're out there to find all your freaky new friends. And once you have met them, the fun never ends. There's whipping and smacking and tying up knots and going to places you thought you could not. (laughs) I mean, just so well done. I was just like, this is so valuable and so great. I feel like this should be like passed around at like parties, virtual <laughs> parties maybe, um, you know, and, and read and talked about. Cause I was just like, this is the cutest, like very engaging, but also again, so much like truth and like re like reality in here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because every, like every line that you read, I can, almost zap back to the moment that I came up with it because of something that I was experiencing in my own life. Uh, Mm -hmm. the first, the first one, the first page you kind of read is like, I experienced squirting for the first time. They may even mess up your sheets, like destroyed, you know? And then with this other page that you're, they're reading, you know, people can't see, but there's a gimp riding a jackalope Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's, this is when I was introduced to BDSM and I started practicing being a, a dom. I, I took mm-hmm. on two subs and I, yeah. I changed my relationship with power and how sex, mm-hmm. what constituted sex didn't necessarily need to be penetration, but it could be a energetic exchange between two people. And so mm-hmm. these like moments of self-discovery that I got to put in the book, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's really cool to hear read back to me because I'm, yeah, I, I can think about where I was at, what I was doing, <laughs> and what each of those meant to me, and how important it is for people to yeah. know that like this is a journey, and that your sexual journey, your journey of discovery, it never ends. Mm-hmm. It's it's never too late. And yeah, um, I think you know, in ending the book, that, well, there's one more thing, which there's a page in there that just says thank your pussy, mm-hmm. and I was yep. so I was so hesitant, Taylor, to put that page in because I worried that in moments where like your six-year-old niece is going, can I look at this? That might mm-hmm. be a reason for you to say no. Yeah. And the reason I decided to put it in is because I know how powerful language is. Mm-hmm. And pussy is a word that young girls are going to hear no matter what. And it's one of the yeah. words that they might hear in a derogatory term and with a negative connotation, the earliest in life. Don't mm-hmm. be a pussy. Yep. So what if they could read this book and have a positive association with their pussy mm-hmm. as a feeling of empowerment of knowing yeah. that 
without needing to know the details, but in knowing mm-hmm. that it's like part of what makes them who they are and it's a thing to be celebrated. Yeah. So then when they do hear in a negative term, that that uh, that spot's already taken. That throne mm-hmm. is already sat on. Yeah. And I love that as we talk about this pussy piece, your hairless pussy is now on on camera with us. I mean, just uh, to clarify, <laughs> I have a hairless cat. <laughs> I did say that in your intro. So if anyone's really listening, paying along, paying attention, you know that's what I'm talking about. Um, but yes, your cat so cute. Uh, adorable. His name is Brain. His name is Brain. He's Brain. wonderful. Oh, I think I said Brian. I think I read that as Brian in my intro oops um, oh damn oh well oh well brain um but (laughs) yeah the i mean 99 percent chance that the first time as a as a girl that you hear the word pussy is in a derogatory way Mm -hmm. um and i think it is very refreshing to see it used in like a yeah thank your pussy like thank her um and kind of what you talked about earlier you know of taking that moment to like actually look at your vulva to look at your pussy there are days that I do that and I'm like wow and I'm just like I feel so powerful Mm -hmm. I'm like she's so beautiful I'm so worthy like I better be pleasured in any sexual experience I have because what a fucking gift. And not like a gift that like, you know, I have to hold on and like uh, seclude from other people and all this stuff, right, with numbers or anything like that with shame. But in like, I better be respected and I better be valued in any experience where I'm being vulnerable and and allowing access and opening myself up to um, having an experience with you. And one thing... I'm glad in that page, I mean, as you're saying, you know, hearing it back, you can like relate to it, right? And like remember these moments for yourself. And for me, I've I've definitely felt the relatability talking about the sheets, right? Mm. And I've had, there has never been a specific episode on squirting, but I do get so many messages about squirting and would like to take like a minute or two to just discuss this. Um, It will mess up your sheets, I oh, yeah. put down towels and I still, it still goes through my sheet and onto my comforter to where I like then literally put towels underneath my sheet <laughs> so that it doesn't go through. And I like, it's, you got to prepare. And sometimes I'm like, we have to go onto the floor to do this. Or like, we have to go into the bathroom or like out on the hardwood floor. Like, this is too much. I have to wash my couch cushions. And like, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Like get messy, get it fucking everywhere. Like lean into that, uh, that excitement, lean into that, um, expression, right? Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like that, that ejaculation, that squirting, that is like an expression that you can lean into and you can be goofy with, right? Like you can laugh about that. Like I hate that it like has this weird stigma of like, well, do you squirt? Like, well, what do you do? Like, can you get it everywhere? Like he, he, she, they, they better be excited that, that you're giving them that expression, right? That you're allowing yourself to even get to that place of being able to have that expression of pleasure. Well, I, like, love that you, I love a, that you call it expression too, because the actual, the, the archaic, uh, term for ejaculation is actually to express it's like to proclaim mm. with vigor yeah you know and so it's like the other that's word and yeah, that's word and so the and the other part of it is like it's 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 an expulsion of your emotions and actually mm-hmm. when i changed my relationship to 
those emotions inside of me, I was able to squirt. Uh, Mm -hmm. I changed my relationship to my urine and I changed my relationship to these like, uh, like tumultuous waves of emotion inside of me. I actually had a dream that I wrote the word feelings on my water bottle. So Hmm. I did because this to me is like how I move through my feelings. Water makes me feel grounded. And then when I am having sex, to fully express myself and to allow mm-hmm. that kind of like cleansing or like baptism, it, yeah. it, it feels like I'm finally releasing something deep inside of me. And I think that's like, it's, yeah. it, it's, it, it's a deeper release than I've really ever experienced. And mm-hmm. getting to that place took practice. You know, I even mm-hmm. said in the book, our bodies evolve and they change. Like getting to yep. places does take, it takes, it takes patience and it takes practice. I believe that, and just because I believe it doesn't mean it to be true, but I believe that every woman is capable of squirting, but a lot of it is psychological. Yeah. A lot of it comes from this feeling of like needing to hold back, of not wanting mm-hmm. to take up space and of not wanting to make a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the way that I squirt the most is with fingering is like really Mm -hmm. the only way. I think I've maybe done it once or twice with uh, like penis penetration. Mm -hmm. But when I am fingered, I can literally tell like it's about to come (laughs) and I can either like, you know, contract and like hold myself up and be like, oh, like don't do anything. Or I can be like, oh. And just let it all release and just let myself be, again, you're not, this is not a performance unless that is what's getting you off and that's what you want to do. But it's not a performance. Experience it. Allow yourself to experience it emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, like all the things allow that to just come up and like to give yourself permission to release, to express. I think that is like such a beautiful thing to do for yourself. And I think, unfortunately, again, when we go back to virginity, right, that it's like we're here for this other person, right? We're giving something to this other person. And that's so much where the focus is, right? Yeah, we're giving like, them a oh, well, me- shower. Yeah, like, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, but, like, oftentimes we're starting off of, like, well, let me make sure, like, my hair looks good. And, like, you know, is my makeup. And, you know, okay, like, am I being too loud? Am I, um, you know, I don't want to make a mess, right? And it's, like, no, allow yourself to experience that pleasure however it comes up for you. And hopefully you're with a partner that is safe and that respects you and that you can trust and that values and prioritizes your pleasure as much as their own pleasure Mm -hmm. and can see your pleasure as something exciting and not this like shameful, like, oh, that's getting everywhere, but like a "Mm, get it everywhere. Absolutely. And, And honestly, disclaimer, if you pee, let it be. Yeah. Like, like allow yourself to accept that that's a possibility. Allow sex is, sex to, is risk. <laughs> it's, it's risk. It's animalistic a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes my sex feels like I'm having an exorcism. Oh, yeah. Because it's like yeah. you should be able to release that much mm-hmm. if you so desire, if that is how you express yourself and that is what you want. It should be a place of like, I kind of call it like, the absolute nothingness and everythingness, whatever that Mm. clash is, whatever that realm is, that's, that's the best place to be personally through my experiences. And that comes from 
releasing from the cerebral aspects of sex, Mm -hmm. which are wondering or worrying about how you look or how you sound and just like being in your body, which has taken me a a long time to really do. Like I still Mm -hmm. have to practice being in my body. Yeah. And I think I I totally agree with you. It's taken a lot of practice. And I think for me, it also like something individually I've explored, but also for me, it's been finding the right person. If I, and unfortunately in the past, I haven't always been with partners that I actually felt safe with, that I actually felt valued and respected by to where I didn't feel like I could actually be in my body in a safe way to even be able to allow that experience to come up. And it totally is sometimes a bit of an exorcism of like orgasm is literally like involuntary contractions that are happening and that starts in the brain. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like you do really need to get to that place of being, you know, in your body to move through that experience. Um, Taylor, you know what's so, so crazy? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm, I'm sitting by a big window right now and <laughs> I love the timing of this. 300 copies of the orgasm book just arrived at my house. <laughs> I'm just, I'm watching this man just carry them and I'm so giddy with excitement right now, but I just, I love that this has happened while I'm talking to you. It's this yes. is a great moment. This is like, this is a defining moment for, for, for me in my life. Like having this wonderful yeah. conversation with you, being able to relate, being able to talk about these things, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing it's going to be broadcasted is such a privilege. And then having 300 copies of my book show up. So fuck yeah. 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 Well, hopefully, girl, you're going to be sending them books out. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there was, I know I had asked you if it was okay if, if I also asked you some questions during yeah. this. And there's like kind of like one like open tab in my brain for something that I wanted to address. But, you know, we talked about, we talked about the squirting page. And then the other page that resonated with you was the mm-hmm. Dom sub page or the, like the more BDSM yeah. page. Like, why was that the other one that kind of stood out to you personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first... I loved that. I, I don't think I was actually anticipating seeing like spanking tied up restraints, like pleasure and pain and like a Dr. Seuss type book. So I think first it was like, a, Oh, we go in there. And then I was like, yes. Okay. Talking about tying up knots and whipping. Um, but it, it also did stick out to me because I think, I mean, I do experience pleasure and a little bit of pain, consensual pain, um, consented pain. Um, but I think it also, you know, you said the last year or uh, recently have experienced exploring more of your dom side and having subs. And um, within the last few years, I did have a relationship where I was kind of called to be more of a dom and like experiment with what that could look like. And there were parts of me that did enjoy that. I think I definitely more tend to lean on the side of being more submissive and, um, you know, spanking as thanking, restraint as release. Um, (laughs) but those things did kind of, uh, stick out to me. And I think, in the past, it did feel like something I was doing for other people mm. that like, I'm, I'm showing up and kind of putting on this mask of like being submissive or this mask of being dominant. If you want me to be dominant, because I want to, you know, please you. And I think 
in a consensual committed relationship that there are parts of me that um, still b- believe that there's a space for that, right? That I might not necessarily totally enjoy it, but that I do enjoy that it pleases my partner. However, there's there's lines for that for me. And I did reach a place where, okay, I'm doing these things now to please you that don't necessarily please me, mm. but like there isn't... Um, there isn't any like wiggle room, right? Like there isn't any space for balance for other interests that it was like exclusively me, you know, being called to be more dom for this person. And also then feeling like, okay, now my needs aren't being cared for as much as I'm caring for your needs. And I want to feel like my pleasure is important to that person. Um, So I think in a way, this page kind of triggered some of that for me of like, okay, what does it mean to push through some of that shame? What does that mean to stand in my worthiness as a sexual being um, to be able to even consensually experience with pleasure things like spanking, things like being tied up and experimenting with power play? Mm. Because I think, you know, unfortunately there are stigmas around like being a confident woman or being a woman who knows how to delegate or knows how to like, you know, be a boss woman, right? That she's being bossy and that she is uh, difficult, right? And I've experienced that in a non-sexual way, right? So then it's like, okay, if I take this on in a sexual experience, uh, how will that be received and how will I show up in that? And Mm. wanting to fight against the stigma, right, of women um, needing to be these small people who don't take up space, but then also enjoying being submissive sometimes. So it's like, it brings up a lot of different layers of reflection and Mm. of experience that um, I think are totally worth all the work because it can lead you to this place of pleasure once you've worked through all of that, which is also kind of what then happens in the Mm. book. Mm. Wow. Thank you for that. That was a beautiful beautiful answer. And my brain got to go on so many fun little tangents with you there. Um, there's like a couple yeah. of things that I definitely want to touch on. And I think one of those is this understanding that I'm, I'm having in the development of culture that has strived for power expressed as productivity. And this, mm-hmm. this trend of culture is characterized by like the towering significance of man, but man yeah. is then also stuck on the top of this tower. Male dominance didn't originate as a natural fact it had to actually be secured through law and so the view violence through violence yes like through through law through violence through repression uh Mm -hmm. regression so uh, the the view of a of a woman's perceived inferiority has been necessary to justify or secure this dominance and so uh, one of my favorite authors camille pegla she talks a lot about this in her book sexual personae which is essentially that if we are to free women from this idea that they are the other in relation to man, we also have to permit men to explore and redefine their mm. relationship to power. Yeah. And so dom sub dynamics are incredibly powerful because they reframe what power is, where the sub is actually always in control. They're yes. submissive, but they're not subordinate or weak. Mm-hmm. And so there's this pervasive narrative that men in positions of power often seek out uh, like dominatrixes, right? Yeah. They, they want to be dominated, but 
in that, what we can derive is that they sought out this form of submission because they knew that it was necessary for balance and that these desires in order to be fully expressed require them to change how they see. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm using, you know, women as dominatrixes and and men as, Mm -hmm. as, as subs in this particular circumstance, but they have to, they are forced to look at power exchange differently and seeing woman, a woman in that position. Yeah. And so reminds me of this Greek philosopher from like the sixth century Heraclides who essentially talked about the the law of opposing opposites and that we are everything is everything needs its opposite in order to exist therefore Mm -hmm. all things are one because one cannot exist without the other so when we look at power dynamics when you have a you know, a dominant and a submissive, it's very obvious to see how that tension and those polarities are actually necessary in order to exist. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful opportunity that we have through BDSM and power play to actually restructure what constitutes power, what constitutes Mm -hmm. powerful, and how having access to both of those versions of ourselves is how we actually feel like a complete person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And I'm wondering too, if there's a conversation here around power and its association with masculinity and masculinity and its uh, relationship and association with power. Um, And I know you you have a a project, um, you know, we've talked about the book a lot, but you also have this project, Men Who Take Baths. And uh, you started that in 2017, kind of right after Me Too, um, when the divide between men and women was pretty large um, and felt really complicated. And um, you kind of open up these conversations around what it means to be a man and deconstruct those um, those pieces around masculinity. Um, can you talk a little bit about that project? Uh, yeah, that, that project was sparked by the question, where are the good men? Where the women in my life were asking right after me too, like, why aren't the men speaking up? And I knew yeah. a lot of these, quote, good men. And when I consulted with them, they said, we're so afraid of saying the wrong thing. So they mm-hmm. decided to say nothing at all. And this is where I noticed that this divide was starting to form. And I thought one-to-one conversations was how we would create change by creating a bridge of empathy. So like gender equity is one goal of this project. Um, Seeking to understand one another is how it's done. But amassing allies in the feminist movement, which is to me asking for and requesting for men and women to be able to fully express themselves as complex beings without the implications that come with those specific genders. And so we need mm-hmm. to work together. And how, like, how do we do that if we, don't, if we fundamentally don't understand one another? So that's what the project mm-hmm. is. It's, it's largely about like, understanding that the patriarchy... Mm-hmm. also has a negative impact on men. I talked about, you know, that tower. Yeah. They're stuck up there too. And unless we allow men the same privilege that we as women are asking for to also redefine what it means to be a woman, they have to they have to be given the same opportunity to redefine what it means to be a man. Sexism, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is not something that is produced by society's interventions. It's it's inherent of society's absence to have these types of conversations. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
part of what you said at the beginning there of uh, men being scared to say anything Mm -hmm. and kind of not wanting to just say anything at all. And that for me really echoes and is very familiar within uh, racial conversations between white and black people specifically and of white people feeling very similar to what men are saying in this instance. And um, for me, I've always advocated that it's better to try and say something that has a positive impact even if your intention is for it to have positive impact and the you know impact isn't necessarily positive, but that you're putting in that effort and to just try to move through a conversation with compassion, with empathy as best as you can is still better than staying silent because you're scared you might say something wrong. Absolutely. Um, so, so I'm curious within this gender equality conversation, um, within this project of where you see intersectional feminism, where you see um, intersection between genders, but also um, noticing where there might be differences there within race or how to be inclusive within racial differences of men and women and those experiences. I think that's a huge question, but I will definitely say like through doing interviews with people of color, white people, it is, everyone has an individualistic experience and a Mm -hmm. subjective experience to how their lives have been lived. And we need to understand those by getting curious about them, not being afraid of that, which we don't understand. And then also looking at it at the, as the backdrop of the culture that we are currently in. So the word culture comes from the French word colère, I believe, which actually means like of the earth, uh, to Mm. grow, to cultivate, to nurture. Mm. We can ask for all of the change in the world, But if we do not have a culture that actually fundamentally supports what we're asking for when it comes to race equality, gender equality, all Mm -hmm. of these things that we're trying to do will fall through the cracks if our foundation isn't sound. So I think we have to, one, gather the experiences, the lived experiences of other people unlike us and start to see the commonalities and the common threads that make us human. And then we need to start questioning those in positions of power and how they're actually allowing these things to continue without being the ones that push change forward. So it's kind of like the intersection of a lived experience and then the culture that supports that. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's going to, it's going to take some time, but what's really encouraging is, you know, I, I heard it a lot, especially around me too, which is the idea of the pendulum swinging too far, you know, but the pendulums mm-hmm. will always swing too far because you need to obliterate and make that much space. So when it yeah. does come back and start to equalize, we can actually mm-hmm. see the divide and how we heal it. The other aspect of this is compassionate disagreement. To your point, mm. those who are too afraid to say the wrong thing, that they, they, they say nothing at all. Well, we need to be compassionate for those who say the wrong thing, which is why I think cancel culture, as yeah. well-intentioned as it was, also did the movement a disservice because Completely. we did not use restorative justice. And, and don't get me wrong, what happened was so necessary and how we initially dealt with it, the fervor in which we handled that was so necessary. But then mm-hmm. you have people that are just going underground and that want to heal, but that yeah. we're not necessarily creating the framework for them to figure out, okay, I said the wrong thing. Now what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think compassionate disagreement actually allows us to see the fissures and the fault lines between how I think life is, 
how it really is and what your experience of that is. And then, and then we can see how to heal the divide. Mm-hmm. If people are going yeah. underground and not saying anything at all, we completely lose the thread. We lose track. And mm-hmm. to truly be human, I think, and it's so simplistic, but is to feel both the joy and the pain of your fellow human being. And I think that COVID has been wonderful in a sense to show us how connected we all are because you all of a sudden have this thing that's impacted all of our lives. And I really do think that's why something like Black Lives Matter has thrived in this time because it was that perfect intersection of us all actually feeling like we are on the same planet. And we don't mm-hmm. like we don't like where that planet's at right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, in a way it's, you know, a common enemy, right? Um, that we no longer are, are each other's common enemy, but you know, we have this COVID thing and and this change and this scary transition in our world, um, to come together a little bit more to see, um, to see how our experiences are different while still also there being extremes on, on either end of still having, um, disconnection and still not understanding the shared experience or the differences in experiences and also how culture impacts that, right? Like a white man that you have in a tub that you might have the conversation with um, in this series, in this project might be a very different version of masculinity of how he's experienced it and how culture has impacted it than having a a black American man um, identify and uh, express and communicate and share what, what his experiences are and relation to masculinity and how culture has impacted it, right? That, that those experiences are going to be vastly different, but to but be able to re- hold what space. What was really interesting, sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to add this so you know it as well, but something that I could have never predicted that was actually a commonality between almost all of the men I interviewed was mm-hmm. that they grew up without a father. And I would have mm-hmm. never known that until afterwards when I was transcribing the interviews. And that really got me thinking is like, yeah. Do we need to remove the father figure in order for men to view women as equal because that is what they were raised by? And so it's like, oh, you know, it's like that because these were like the the, the good guys um, yeah. and of different backgrounds, but that of all different have been raised. Specific, yeah. Specific. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, have been raised singularly, uh, by their mothers. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So Hmm. it's like, I think, I think all things are connected truly. And so, you know, I, I see what's happening in the world. I see what I'm doing with these projects. And a lot of it is not to like oversimplify it. And I'm not saying this is the entirety of what's going on or what this like, you know, Panchia could be, but healing the feminine, healing the relationship Mm -hmm. to the feminine within ourselves as well. And this comes down or back to, you know, this idea of power and what constitutes power and who gets Mm -hmm. power, who's permitted Mm -hmm. to have it. Because what we're seeing right now is those who have, quote, been, you know, subjected to being without power, having less power are rising up and saying, this is not the world we want to live in anymore. It happened right after Me Too Mm -hmm. with the rise of, let's say, feminism. And it's happening right now with Black Lives Matter. There are things that Mm -hmm. we no longer want to stand for. Yeah. 
At first, when you started on that and you were saying like that starts with like of um, with power, I was going to say that starts with thanking your pussy. Thank your pussy. Uh, (laughs) I was like, I think that's where that starts. Thank your pussy. Get back in touch with the power that you have um, within your pussy as as a woman. But also to note that, you know, there are women who don't have vulvas and vaginas and how how do they then get in contact or, you know, um, get in connection with their feminine? Right. I mean, the whole conversation around femininity and masculinity to me is such a fascinating one because I think there's so much complexity there just from a heteronormative standpoint. But then when you expand that and open it, there are so many other pieces of that that are just like so fascinating to me uh, that we don't have the time to get into today. Um, But (laughs) definitely, uh, you know, think that what you're doing with the Men Who Take Baths um, project is so important. And I think, you know, having a space and just encouraging uh, men to be able to reflect and get really intentional about what, what it does mean to be a man right? And does being a man have anything even to do with masculinity, right? How do you balance, how do you even experience feminine energy within identifying as a man? Um, And like, I know we we can't go down another rabbit hole, but like all I will say as a caveat to that is very interesting that we're seeing a psychedelic renaissance right now as well, because psychedelics Mm -hmm. also have the potential through my experiences and and through research that's been done to almost dissolve these ideas of gender and these like mm. hard guardrails that have been put in place because when you go to this world of expansive love where you experience people as energy and then come back to this one you realize how atrophied you can feel in this world, how beholden you can feel to a certain way of being that's not truly reflective of who you are. So being able to monitor that dissonance, I do also find very fascinating, but you know, for another time, thank your pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank your fucking pussy. They're, they're fantastic. They do so much for us and they're fucking beautiful and they bring life. So thank her. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for all of this. This has been so fantastic. Thank you. This has been honestly a beautiful conversation. It went in so many different directions and I just, yeah, I just really appreciate that. It's, it's, it's really nice to just chat. Yeah. And there's so much more to go into on all these things too. I was like, okay, be specific. Which way do I want to go with this? But like, there's so many other good pieces um, and so much more on all of these topics. Um, Could you share a little bit about kind of where people can find you, where people can find the book, where people can find um, men who take baths, all the, all the things, where people go? Well, as you know, I just received 300 copies of the book to my house while we've been talking. So uh, buy those. Uh, you can yeah. find uh, you can find that at uh, on Instagram at the Orgasm Book or uh, theorgasmbook.com. Uh, myself personally, Nicole Double L. That's N I C O L L E. The word double and then another L. That's kind of like a central point, and then that branches off to all my projects. Uh, Girls who say fuck is the other mm-hmm. one that you can find on Instagram, and then also at Men Who Take Baths. So those are kind of like mm-hmm. the places where you can, you know, choose your own adventure. 
Yeah. I love that. She's from adventure. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much. This has thank been so you. fantastic and really appreciate you sharing your personal experiences and also sharing these very <laughs> like healing uh, pieces of work that you've put a lot into. So thank you. Thanks, Taylor. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, and, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.